Good morning. Great to see you today. So glad you're in the house of the Lord. My name is Philip. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm thankful that you're here as well. Um, I'm just going to take a second and pray. Is that okay? Uh, man, that's just so much going on in the world. Um, I think the church should be a house of prayer. And so I just want to pray for a second about all that's going on, and then we'll jump right into the message. But if you'll let me do that, I'd be grateful. Lord, today we come before you, and you know that <clears throat> really we desperately need you. We pray for all the things going across the world, and it just seems out of control. We pray for Afghanistan today and those brothers and sisters in Christ who will be martyred literally for their faith. Lord, we pray you'd help us to learn something from those who would give their life to meet with the body of Christ. Oftentimes, Lord, we can get distracted by any and everything, God, but I pray that you would help us to, um, to grow and learn and pray for those in Afghanistan. We pray for Haiti as, as they've been once again hit by devastation. And uh, we pray for those who experience extreme poverty and who have had oppression, Lord, we pray for them, Lord. Pray for those who take need and supplies to them that you would give them safe travels, Lord. We pray for, for those who are suffering in this season and those who are, who are down and sad, Lord. We pray that you would lift them up. We pray for the, the coast as they will get hit by a storm, our southern coast. Lord, may you, uh, may you in this season, God, help us to take our eyes off all the things that could distract us and help us to focus on the most important thing, which is you. And none of those things that we've mentioned surprise you. And so, God, may we have faith that you are enough, and we're going to hold on to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. So, so today I want to talk to you about um, three questions, really one question, but three questions matter most in life. Really, at the beginning, you have to decide, where did you come from? Where did you come from? In the middle, you've got to decide what your purpose is. Why are you here on earth? And at the end, you've got to decide where you are going. And, um, and for me, it's, it's been and always has been, there has to be a creator. I believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I do not have enough faith to be an atheist. And, and for me, the purpose of my life spilled out of my mouth at an Applebee's of all places. Somebody asked, what do you think you'll do with your life? And I said, but I'm going to be a pastor. Everybody laughed. Nobody believed me. But here I am, right? <laughs> and then um, I just want to tell you up front that I'm going to talk to you about this third question today. When, the, when life is over, what then? I mean, at, at the end, where are you going? You're like, man, pastor, welcome back to, welcome back to church for vacation, right? Um, but, you know, two things made me think uh, about this as I really was, was thinking about um, today and, and just all the, all the things we've had over the last couple of weeks and just all the amazing things. But two things made me think about where we're going today. One, I had to confront my own end. You ever done that? I had to confront my own end. This past week, my wife and I traveled with um, family to celebrate her parents' 50th with a trip. And not often, you realize not often you get to travel with like uh, a mother and father-in-law or a mom and dad. And then like a sibling without all the kids, you know, like that's like a rare experience. And, um, you know, I love my kids, but it was nice not to have to take care of them. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, so I went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Anybody ever been to Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Yeah? Oh, man, more of you guys in the first service. They looked at me like I was crazy. Okay. Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And um, has anybody ever been glamping? It's glamorous camping, which felt like camping to me. I don't know. I don't like, I'm not, I'm not a big camper. So it just felt, it still felt uh, kind of rough because uh, no internet and it was like only 30 minutes of hot water. So, 
I don't know. Anyway, it was where, it's where uh, rich people live and, and the other people go to vacation. And so uh, we went to see uh, Yellowstone and, and hiking the Tetons and, and we ate elk and bison and, and all the things, right? And they get so much snow that they pay roof shovelers to, to shovel the snow off of the roofs of the house for, for 70 to $100 an hour. I would figure out how to rig up like a snowblower up there, you know, <laughs> like just bust it out. Anyway, so, so they get about 144 inches of snow a year. And so here we are gam- uh, glamping. And, uh, and, you know, my wife says to me, hey, before our trip, I need you to go to Cabela's and get uh, bear spray. <laughs> has anyone has ever bought bear spray? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone been dumb enough to go to Cabela's and ask for it? Anyone? <laughs> All right, so you got to get bear spray because you're um, in, in Wyoming, you're in the middle of nowhere, and so because you're in the middle of nowhere, you can get a bear and elk and whatever else to just walk up on you, and so you got to get bear spray. Now, here's how much of an um, outdoor enthusiast, Western outdoor enthusiast I am. I didn't know whether the bear spray was a mace, like you spray it in the bear's eyes, or if it was more of a fragrance, like you spray it on yourself under a pail, <laughs> you know? Do you know? Is that obvious? You, you probably know. Uh, so when we got off the plane at um, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, there was actually a station that said rental for bear spray repellent. Isn't that wild? $50 a can. Anyway, so I go to Cabela's on Monday, and I, I hear myself ask the little, the little attendant, 16-year-old girl, however old she is, I said, can I have bear spray repellent? And she said, because of coronavirus, that they'd been out for six months because bear spray is very popular during pandemics. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't get any bear spray. And then, and then you know, last week we, we celebrated our one-year anniversary of the church and man, it, uh, being here, and it was just so fun, man. Friday night, men's meeting, Saturday vision and dedication, and Sunday, man, the Holy Spirit fell, and it was so evident. It always cracks me up on a day like that. You know, the next, the next Sunday, it's like it's gonna be tooth and nail uphill fight. The devil knows, man, when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's like, I gotta, I gotta move in on that kind of stuff, right? So we just, we had this just unbelievable experience. We prayed for revival. But one of the songs that the, the praise team sang hit me like a ton of bricks. The song was, hell lost another one, I am free. Man, because that's my story. And the praise team, that's their story. And the praise choir, that's their story. And elders and members of our board, that's their story. And many of you, you could say, hell lost another one and, and I am free in Christ Jesus. But I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, as wonderful as this feels, you always want to stay in this moment, you've got to give another one a chance. And this morning when I did that, someone actually accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so I just felt the Holy Spirit said, be very, very clear. Because the church should be charging the gates of hell, praying, God, help us to save another one. So at the end of the day, I'll just give you the honest chance to say, I need Jesus in my life. CBS poll, polling services recently uh, took a poll, and this is what they found. They found that 66% of Americans believed that there was at least a heaven and a hell that they existed. That 82% said they would go to heaven for sure, and 2% thought they would go to hell. I mean, I actually appreciate the 2% that are like, you know what? 
I live like this, I'm going to hell, right? I, don't, I hate they're going there, but at least they were honest about it, right? 9% thought that they weren't going to either place, so I don't know, I don't know where they think they're going, and, and 7% had no opinion. So, so literally, according to, um, to the recent polls, Americans see themselves as basically good, basically good, but the Bible teaches you otherwise. I'm sorry to uh, burst your bubble, and I know you're glad I'm back from vacation, right? So when you, when you believe the narrative that you are basically good, you cannot see your need for God in all the clutter. I find it intriguing that people don't really dive into, especially young people, don't think about their own mortality. Think about this for a second. I mean, we're, we're in this season um, overhyped by the fact that what could happen and what might happen, and we're all, we're all fearful, but, but every two seconds, somebody dies. Every two seconds. 6,000 people an hour, 150,000 people every day, 57 million people die each year. No one outruns it, outmaneuvers it, or outlives it. My brother-in-law, who I just went on vacation with, he's an eye surgeon. I call him Captain Awesome, right? Because everything he does is awesome. And so uh, don't you like being related to that guy? But anyway, so, so he, he, um, he is an eye surgeon, and, and he is a fine surgeon, and you want to take him, you know? You want to take him with you. He actually told me not to worry about buying bear spray. He's a surgeon, but he wasn't going to pay $50 for bear spray, you know? He's like, man, we just got to outrun the girls, you know? Like, so, so he said that, not me. I would never say that. My idea was to put some credit cards and money on the ground and then just run off. But anyway, so, so, so he's, he actually said, we were talking about it, and he said, man, I, you know, you can enhance your life, but, but you cannot eliminate death. You can enhance your life, but you cannot eliminate death. You can pop all the pills you want. You can eat all the green vegetables you want. You can stay out of the sun. You can exercise, and you can improve the quality of your life, but you cannot eliminate the inevitability of your death. So Ecclesiastes says, no one has the power except God in the day of death. Psalms 89, who can live and not see death or who can escape the power of the grave? The Bible says no one. So we all someday face that reality and we have to decide what then. And I think you've gotta figure this out. You'll see this on the screen and I think this is good to know. You cannot have a peace in life until you have an answer for death. I mean, you know why I think everybody's so upset uh, these days? Everybody's so unnerved. I get it, man. We are going through something we've never been through. I totally get it. There are days I wake up and think, I don't want to deal with the day. I, I don't want to deal with how today is. I don't want to, I just don't want to. But you, but you just get up and you go on, right? Now, then there are people who've lost their minds. I think to myself, it's because all they've got is this moment where the Bible's very clear that you should hold where we are right now in a loose grip and grasp strongly for eternity. And what we do is grab strongly for where we are and kind of have a, a, a fuzzy view of eternity. Now, I think you cannot have a peace in this life until you have literally an answer for death. So Jesus has this conversation in, um, in, in Matthew chapter 19. He's with a rich young ruler. And, and I would say to you this morning that it's the picture of the majority of people in the world because they think doing good will be the key to get them into heaven. And this is what it says, Matthew chapter 19. It says that Jesus was sitting, a man came and asked him, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? 
Well, why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which one he required? Jesus replied, don't murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, well, all these I've kept. The young man said, what still do I lack? And Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Eternal life cannot be earned or worked for or bought. The Bible says that Jesus did the work of Calvary on the cross for you, and it is a free gift. The fact that I don't have to work, do good works, in order to get to heaven to somehow convince God to take me in should be liberating to me. It means I can't perform enough to get God to, to like me. But here's the difference. The world's religions all kind of, um, and different, Christianity different, because all world religions basically are a, a merits-based thing, and, and they're, a, they're a religion, and Christianity is a relationship where God literally reaches out through Jesus to say, I'm not looking at your performance or your effort. I'm basing off of what I've already done. And so it's a grace-based Relationship, And when that grace-based relationship gets a hold of you, you want to be all in. So it's not based on what I, what I do, but it is based on the fact that what Jesus has done, and when that grabs a hold of me, then I can respond. Let me ask you a question. How good is good enough? If you thought that, if you came in here, you wouldn't say it in, in this kind of setting, but if you said, hey, I think I'm pretty good, I think I'm a good person, I think, I think I'm good enough to get into heaven, well, then how good is good enough? I mean, honestly, what kind of confidence would you have in a system like that? Like, like if you believe that, do you, do you believe that, that heaven uh, grades on a curve or, or based on, um, you know, dropping out some, some bad things but keeping the good things? And if you really examine yourself, you will know you're not all that hot to be completely honest. If you don't believe me, ask people around you. They can always see what you can't see, right? They can always see someone like, oh, man, my goodness. When I went to Cabela's to get my bear spray, I went to the, I went to the camping section, talked to that little girl, and she said, well, we don't, have, we don't have bear spray in the camping section. You gotta go to the hunting section, which is all the way across the store. So I walked all the way across the store, got to the hunting section, I said, to this burly old gruff man. I said, man, I, I'm trying to get bear spray. I'm going to Wyoming. And he said, we don't carry bear spray. Uh, you got to go back to, to camping. I said, well, camping just told me to come to hunting. You know, I mean, really, what's the difference? I don't even know the difference. Like, this is, how, this is how much I'm not, what am I doing? You know, like, just give me some bear spray. They said, you got to go back to camping. So I go back to camping. I say, they say, it's not in hunting. It's in, it's in your area, camping. She said, well, he's wrong. Go back to, so, I'll go, so I go back to hunting. I say, well, she said it's in your area. He said, well, it's wrong, go back. back." I said, look, if I find bear spray, I'm gonna spray everybody in this room with some bear spray. I'll spray you. You ever ever feel, I mean, I I I joke about it, but I was really annoyed in that moment. Like, I gotta gotta go on this trip on Tuesday, it's Monday afternoon, I got a ton of things to do, and I'm sitting here fooling around with bear spray with, you know, so I just, have you ever ever been in the airport? You know that thing that they put you on to drive you? If you can't walk or whatever, you just, aren't fast enough, and so they put you on it, and then they, and then they go down the middle of everybody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they yell at you, or they honk at you. 
Man, I got so annoyed at this. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, you just get, and you think to yourself, now if everybody could really see how I feel, they would know I'm not really that great of a person, at least in this moment, right? So if you're saying I'm a good person, what, are we supposed to just like move that kind of stuff? Are we just excusing certain moments? or what? You know, how does that work, right? So, so this young man, he, he asked Jesus, well, you know, what's the answer? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God, he brings up the Ten Commandments, and he says to him, basically he shows him, if you can't obey all the commandments, then you're not that good after all. And if you're not that good after all, then what is your hope of getting to heaven without a Savior? Acts chapter 16 says that Paul and Silas were in the prison, and they tell the the jailer, literally, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, both you and your household. So what we know is the Ten Commandments were two tablets, and we usually think there's five on one and five on the other. Uh, but, but actually, there was four that were written uh, in, a, in a vertical sense, right? Meaning that there was man's relationship with God, and there were six on the other, which was horizontal, meaning man's relationship to man. And Jesus quoted all the commandments that the young man had dealt well with. He, he got the, the man-to-man stuff right, but he knew his problem was with the vertical, both him and Jesus. And so the young man's problem was his first tablet. Exodus chapter 20, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse four, you shall not make yourself a carved image, anything of any likeness other than me. And the Bible says that one of the saddest verses in the Bible is verse 22. When the young man had heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You understand that his problem was not wealth, right? It was not that he was wealthy. Like, it's not, that, it's not bad to necessarily have things or stuff or money or, or influence or, or whatever it is. His problem was not wealth. This past week when we were in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, literally the middle of nowhere, uh, my family convinced me to go on a rafting trip, you know, what better thing to do than go into ice cold water and go rafting together? So it's like, okay. So we go to rafting, and you're taking in the scenery, and you really feel so small. You realize in that moment, man, I'm so small compared to the beauty of God's creation. And, uh, but it was so cold there, even in, um, in August, that we had to wear wetsuits. Has anybody put on a wetsuit as an adult? It's ridiculous. My wife and I are in the same bathroom trying to squeeze. You know, we're cracking ourselves. We're trying to squeeze. She almost broke the toilet. Like, like you, you're trying to get this wetsuit up. You finally get it up. We get into the raft. We get out there. And there was two guys in the front who didn't have wetsuits. They were too cool for them. They froze their little hind ends off. For $9, you could have avoided this. Anyway, so, so if you ever go to Wyoming, get the wetsuits. Avoid the bear spray. Okay, so... so so here we are, we're in, this, we're in this raft, and we're going down the river, and, uh, and I say to the guy who's driving us around, hey, man, uh, what's, what's uh, he said, you know, how's housing in your area? Oh, it's crazy, people can't get houses. I said, how's it here? He said, oh, it's crazy, man, it's expensive. How expensive is it? He said, an 800-square-foot house here in town costs a million dollars. I started calculating. I could live in, like, 20-square-foot, maybe? Like, I would have to have a 20-square-foot house, like, 
Oh, my word. I mean, I mean um, uh, Harrison Ford lives there, like Sandra Bullock vacations there. You know, it's just like, it's just, there's not, nothing wrong if you can afford a million-dollar house that's 800 square foot. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, there, it's, the Bible does not say it's wrong. But in fact, the Bible says um, in Deuteronomy, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Right? Do you know what his problem was? You know what the young man's problem was? Is that he had taken God, uh, the, the, he'd taken the God of success and the God of, of uh, money, and he had made that the ultimate idol. He, he had said, oh, I love my stuff, I love my money, I love my possessions, and those are the things I want to attain, and that's what my life's going to be about, and nothing can take its place. Man, it's super easy to do that, isn't it? You know, my son and I were going, um, a couple weeks ago, we're going home from church. We're driving down 42. We get to the intersection of 42 and 50, which is where we turn to go home. And there was a panhandler out there. I don't know if you've, you've seen him. And so he's out there, maybe, I don't know, 12, 1230. And so we do our things for Sunday. And we're going, we're going back that way about 830 that night. He's still out there. Like, man, this guy. He got a work ethic. He got a panhandler's work ethic. Like, so, so I'm like, and I usually get, have a bag or something to give him, you know, water, crackers, uh, wipes, whatever, whatever it is we can, we can scrounge up. Or uh, one time my son passed a sucker out the window, like when he was real little, like, you want a sucker? Like, yeah, man, you know? So, so we try to do that. And um, it was kind of a cool moment. We're sitting there at the intersection and a Mustang pulls up, right? A really unbelievable Mustang. It was, beautiful and it was tricked out and it just looked amazing and so this panhandler he he walks over to it and the light's red and he takes out this rag and he holds it up and when the light turned green he drops it and that thing starts spinning right it was a great moment I mean it was just like it was like it was so awesome man everybody was like yelling and hollering and like what is happening right now? You know, it's like, it's just, just, this, just this great moment. And my, my son and I, we both had this, had to talk about, you know, different things that come up when a situation like that unfolds. And, you know, think it to myself, no matter how that guy got on the side of the road, no matter your opinion about people who do that, something has broken down because really nobody wants to be on the side of the road begging for money. So whatever has happened, we don't, we, I said, we're not gonna judge him for that. And, and we're just gonna pray that God, um, you know, is real to him and, you know, I thought to myself, everybody wants to be in the driver's seat of success. Everybody wants to be the person in the car flying away. Why? Because you feel more in control in that moment than if you, if you aren't. The Bible says you've got to be very, very careful, though. Like, like nothing wrong with fancy cars or nice trips or, or nice houses or, or the ability to travel for your kid's sports or, or the opportunity to put your kid in a nice school. But worshiping at the idols of those successes and comforts make a terrible God. They do. They make a terrible God. So let me be very clear. The goal of the gospel is not to affirm you or celebrate you or accept you. The goal of the gospel is to rescue you and transform you and redirect you to Jesus Christ. It is. So when Jesus saves you and sanctifies you and redeems you, it should transform you. It should be so moving that it makes you reorient what your life looks like, and you should have fruit, the Bible says. And the Bible says, by your fruits, you will know them. By their fruits, you will know them. So, so, so people should know, hey, there's something different about them. I don't know what it is. Well, it's that you've been saved and redeemed and sanctified. 
June 20th, uh, uh, June 2020, a survey came out by the Culture Research Center, and it found that 69% of Americans believe that people are basically good. And so this rich young ruler, his story basically reverberates through our country. One, we're good, we think. And two, uh, we, believe, uh, we believe literally that, that, um, that if you do good things, that you'll get to heaven. You know what the Bible says? Romans 7, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not, run, not one. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You say to me, okay, pastor, I know you've been on vacation. I know you've come back with this message, and what do I do about it? The Bible says that you should be quick to repent and humble yourself before the Lord and say, I have a great need for you. Save me. At the end of the service today, I'll pray, and I'll wait right here, and if that's you, I'll pray with you. Somebody did that first service, I'll be glad to pray with you this service. So, so here's what it is. Jesus saves our soul, the Father directs our steps, and the Holy Spirit fuels our walk. Now somebody needs to hear this who's been saved for a long time. You've been saved, you know, you know here you are, and you do, your, you do the Christian thing, and, but, but it just something just seems a little bit off. So I wanna tell you this. If the Spirit fuels your steps, then this is what I think, and you'll see it on the screen. We should wanna be popular in heaven and famous in hell. You should desire as a Christian to be popular in heaven and famous in hell. A pastor was uh, gathering material and getting ready for a revival, and, um, and he says to himself, I don't think these people are going to like this message. So he calls a friend and says, I don't think these people are going to like this message. You know they struggle with this certain thing, and I'm, I'm kind of getting them ready to, to, to do this revival. And what do you think? Do you think it's going to, what is it going to be like? And the friend stops him and says, who cares what they think? Is it popular in heaven? Well, that should always be our question, shouldn't it? Now, that should be our question. It reminds me, there's, like, there's an old um, a passage that an older pastor once preached on. I remember he said, he talked about the man who was known in hell. I will never forget it. Acts chapter 19, verse 15, it says, one day that the evil spirits answered, and they said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And there's a scenario playing out where the Jews decided to, to, to um, cast out demons as a fun game, and, and they noticed that Paul did it, and they knew that Jesus could do it, so they figured, well, it can't be that hard, so they tried, and soon they realized, have you ever been there? Completely out of their depth. And the evil spirit, when they tried to cast it out, the man came to and jumped on them, the Bible says, overpowered them and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding, Acts chapter 19 says. If you ever have a moment where you run out naked and bleeding, it has been a terrible day. Okay, you just, you just need to know that. And so it said Jesus was known and Paul was known, but the question becomes, what about me? And what about you? I fear there have been times where I've made a splash, but there have been times where I've reveled in my comfort. Would you like to be known in hell? I mean, I, mean, I kind of think it'd be an honor, honestly, to be known in hell. My fear is that I don't necessarily think that we sometimes produce as much 
as we need to be effective for the kingdom. I would long for Amplified Church to be feared by the gates of hell. To the degree at which you and I are a threat to the devil and he knows who we are because of Jesus. You know, we all like to be popular, right? I mean, I mean, I mean where do you want to be popular? With your friends or at work or at school or with, with the rich and famous, or maybe on social media, you want to be an influencer, or, or, or you want to hold a government, uh, you want to hold friendships with those who have governmental positions and just have power. We all kind of lean toward wanting to be popular. I'm getting ready to turn 42. Can you believe that? I went, I went with my brother-in-law on vacation, and I was sitting in the back seat counting how many gray hairs he held on his head. Like, I want to be like, dude, you got old. I don't know how you got old, but you're old now. But I'm old too, and so 42, we turn to 42 Wednesday. And um, I can't believe it. And, and so at some point soon, I'll be coming up on my, my 25th high school reunion. Um, we went to, our, to Crystal's 20th high school reunion. Um, hers will be soon, her 25th will be sooner than mine because she's older than I am. <laughs> now, we played a, a game at the men's meeting the other night, and everybody thought I was older than her. So I'm making it very clear to you. She is older than me. I know with all my wisdom, you think I'm older, but she is older than I am. So we go, to, we go to a high school reunion. Now, let me ask you this. How many people have been back to a high school reunion? Oh, yeah. Okay. How many people have been to a college reunion? Look, for you guys who don't have your hand raised, you got to go back to those things. They are weird. <laughs> they are weird. You'll come out with some crazy stories. In fact, if you want to hear a story, you come... Come find me. I'll tell you a story, too, from Crystal's High School reunion. It was weird, man. I just sit in the corner. Like, this is what you do if you've never been. This is what you need to do. Take you a box of popcorn, go sit in the corner, and just start eating. Say, okay, go ahead. It's going to get weird. I mean, it, it, it is what it is, right? You know what, you know what um, is funny to me, though? So as I near 25 years, it, it, it baffles me how popular I wanted to be 25 years ago with people that I don't even know anymore. Isn't that funny? I mean, it doesn't even matter at this point. But like, it was so consuming. And so um, it took all my attention. And you're like, the closer I get to eternity, the more I realize that stuff doesn't mean a hill of beans. I think in this day and age, preachers have given in way too much to the popularity of our culture. It's why you see churches starting to slowly back up on things that are very clearly biblical because it, it isn't very popular. As a society gets less like Christ, the words become harder and harder to preach. The Bible becomes more and more convicting, and so we say it's irrelevant. We try to move away from it. And so what you see is a, is a culture not getting um, pushed toward the truth, but you see the truth being pushed aside by the culture. Preachers are usually people who love uh, other people, and so uh, success comes to those who don't speak things very difficultly, and, and, and you want to be popular, and yet I, I'm a fearful for the day when I stand up under Christ and say, well, they really liked me, and he looks at me with disdain. Because my goal is to, be, is to be known in hell because of what we've done for the kingdom, but my ultimate goal is to be popular in heaven, Right? I could come up with a bunch of reasons on how to be like that, but let me tell you this. The first thing is, and I've said this over and over and over, we are a church that repents very quickly. 
Like, we're gonna make repentance cool if we have to, right? Like, like we get it wrong, we come right to the feet of Christ, we repent. God, forgive me and, and, and redeem the mistakes that I've made and use them for your glory and I'll pay the consequences, but, but here I am at your feet. I so desperately need you. And the Bible says like it, that, that the, um, the angels rejoice when someone comes home who has needed to repent more so than the 99 who are righteous and don't need to repent. The second thing I would say when it comes to being popular in heaven is you are actively engaged with the church of Christ. I mean, you're here to experience it and fellowship with it, and you're here to, to, um, to serve at it, and you're here to give sacrificially for it, and, and you love the least and the lost, and you welcome anyone, but you don't water down the standards, and you suddenly say at some point, it's not about me or my wants, it's about reaching just one more. Jonathan Edwards was a, a Puritan preacher, and he said, he said this, that every generation's goal is to discover where God is moving and then join him there. Like, we don't do our thing and invite God to come with us. We find where he's at, and we get into that vein of thought or that stream. And so, and so we, we say, God, what are you doing? How are you moving? And one of the things I see is God moving here. Like, when we have moments where someone gives their heart to Christ, or we have moments last week where you feel the spirit, or we have moments where our kids make decisions, or our teenagers, or our young adults, or, 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 or we serve. You can feel God moving. He's at work, he's drawing, he's giving courage, and I wanna say, God, use me. Now listen, don't be fooled by your, um, by your feelings, right? Don't be fooled by your feelings. I mean, feelings matter, but don't be fooled by them. Like, I went on vacation Tuesday, came back last night real late, and I don't usually like to do that. I was exhausted this morning when I woke up, which is probably the sign of a good vacation, but guess what? I didn't wanna come to work. Remember the last time you went to church and the pastor said he didn't wanna be there? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> honest, honest truth, you know what I did? I, did, I just felt groggy, I felt tired. I couldn't find my keys this morning because who knows where I put them when I left and they weren't on the key ring. Like, oh my goodness, what, am, what is going on? And I got myself in here and I put both hands up and I praised the Lord. I'm gonna praise the Lord through this mess because my feelings aren't gonna, you, sometimes you just gotta take your feelings and put them on the back burner. God, here I am. And I'm before you, and I'm, I'm, I'm here to experience you, and I need your son, Jesus, all over me. And so here I stand to say, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his or her knees. And how, do you get, how do you get famous in hell? Well, well, Lord, we're, we're repenting and we're praying and we're seeking your face and we're trying to be part of, of your hope, which is giving Jesus to the world, right? There, there was a, there was a, a story of, um, of, of Stephen in the Bible, one of the, one of the deacons of the early church. He wasn't an apostle and he, um, he had the anointing on him so much that Acts chapter six says that his face shone like an angel, that his knowledge of the Bible was vast, that in Acts chapter seven, that he quotes literally um, the whole time is basically a history lesson of the Old Testament. And you say, well, pastor, how would I be popular in heaven and, and uh, famous in hell? One of the things I'd say was, uh, how well do you know your Bible? I mean, I could, I could come up with a million things you know how to do really, but how well have you gotten into the word? 
And how quick are you to pray? How quick are you to take things to prayer? Do you know something my wife has taught me? That I can take the smallest things to God in prayer? Because if I can trust him with the small things, when I bring the big things to him, I can trust him with those two. And she used to pray about little things, and I would say, he don't care about that. He don't care about that. Lord, like she'd lose her, I'd lose my keys on a Sunday morning. I'd about lose my religion and get mad. And you know, just, she lose her keys. She'd say, Lord, please help me find my keys. I was a young man, I'd say, that's pretty stupid. He don't care about your keys. I think now I was the fool. I think he does care about that. I, I think he cares about the littlest of thing, and I think it was a lack of faith on my part to be able to trust that he would help me find those keys so I'd get myself to church. So I'm here to say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn before you. And then how fast am I to repent? Literally, how fast am I to repent? Of all the, place, of all the things you should, you should experience at church, it should be um, worship, and then you should pray, and then you should repent. Even, there are times that I, I'm reminded as I worship, I feel like, like I'll, I'll lift my hands in praise, and I feel so inadequate, Right? And I also feel like, oh man, like I'm, I'm, I'm a hypocrite because I did this the other day and I did that and I got this wrong and Lord, here I am, forgive me. Sometimes they'll give me other steps like go tell them you were wrong, right? So, okay, I'm gonna go tell them I'm wrong, but Lord, here I am, forgive me. And ultimately, we're gonna make a splash in hell when we band together to love and serve and give to his church the hope of the world which carries the message of Jesus Christ. Man, so I'm calling for people who want to be known, literally, by heaven and earth to say, Jesus is all, and that's all I'm about. You know, when I was on vacation, I was coming back, I was flying back in, and, uh, and all the things that I had dropped over a couple of days literally started to just circle back around me. You're in the middle, of, you know, I was in the middle of like nowhere, you know, like you're just, you could get away, you couldn't think about it, but you could have coming back, work, and uh, life and uh, all the decisions have to be made, and you, you start to get bogged down. And I read across this statement as I was, I was reading the devotional. It said, what, what walks in the Father runs in the family. What walks in the Father runs in the family. So whatever I decide is important for me will have drastic ripple effects for them. So if the, if the most important thing is to make money, if I decide that that's gonna be the idol of my life, that's what they're gonna run with. If I decide that, that, um, that, that, that you know, Christ is the most important thing for me, then, then my prayer is God make that run through them. And what I'm, what I'm saying to you is I've, I've told you over and over and over, I'm tired of watching generations just kind of drift. And so I said, God, if there's anything you can do with me is use my life to reach next generations. And by doing that, you're gonna have my heart to repent and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna draw unto you as close as I can so that what flows through me in your spirit makes it to them. So I'm gonna pray here in a minute. We're gonna be done. We gave the band a day off just because they, they did all kinds of stuff last weekend to get ready, so they're not gonna come back, but what? No less important is the fact that I'm gonna stay right here and if you say, I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I wanna pray with you. So come find me, okay? I'll wait just a moment. I wanna pray for the men this morning. There might be a man in here who says, hey, pastor, I'm with you. I'm gonna repent as fast as possible. I'm gonna pray like never before. I'm gonna lead my family in this season. 
as the nation struggles, as, as people struggle, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna race to the throne room and there you'll find me because what I walk in runs through them. So God, help me, Lord, to lead them. I just wanna pray a prayer over you because I think it's massively important. Anybody wanna stand with me and say, Pastor, pray with me? That's what I want. RJ, come on, man, you wanna come pray? Come on, come pray with me. Anybody else wanna stand up and say, that's me? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's me. Thank you. Thank you, RJ, for coming forward. I appreciate that, man. Keith, Ron, yeah. Lord, I'm praying for these days. My heart is hear our prayer and answer our cry. My prayer is, Lord, help us to sense that if we want revival, we prayed last week, it felt so good to sit in the moments where your spirit was moving and to sense revival. If we wanna sense that, that it only comes at the, at the altars where our knees are bent and where our heart is saying, I'm yours. So Father, we pray today, I'm yours. And what walks in me runs through them. So God, I'm praying for next generations to sense the needs of this of this generation, Lord. I'm praying that your Holy Spirit invades them. I'm praying that your, your guidance and direction gives them um, a need for a savior. And Lord, I'm praying for somebody in here because I know today, Lord, you're answering the words of your scripture which say, how does one get saved? To give faith in Jesus Christ. As that jailer was told, you put your faith in Christ and you were saved. So Father, today I'm praying for someone to take a bold step like that. And God, ultimately I'm saying as we go this week, as we go in these moments, may you direct our steps. May the Spirit fuel our path, Lord. And may we make you known and amplify your beauty. We love you, Lord, today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Be blessed as you go today. Thanks, man. Praying for you.